Again, that's Romans 7, verses 1 to 12, and that's on page 1133 in the Church Bible. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister. We are back in uh, Romans after a little break. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll dive in together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that, that as we've just sung, you speak to us in your words. And we trust that as you do that, we will be changed, that we will not leave here the same as we arrived. Father, please do that work by your Spirit as we look at your word humbly and trust that it is good and true and right for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me, um, let me ask you a question. How do you change? How do you change? We all want to change in, in lots of different ways, some small ways, some big. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you fancy a, a new hairdo 
for, uh, for the Jubilee weekend, you would go to the hairdressers. That's fairly simple. Maybe, uh, maybe you fancy a, 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 new, um, a new exercise program. Uh, you want a you know, you slightly new body, not a completely new one. That'll have to wait, but uh, you know, a, slight, a slightly improved one. That takes a little bit more work, doesn't it? Uh, change is a bit harder uh, there. What, ab- what about in, in bigger things? Again, what about um, your character? Um, if you want to change uh, some aspect of your character, how do you do it? We all want to change, but how does it happen? How does change happen in us? Let me, um, let me tell you about Dan. Um, Dan, uh, he's, he's, just, he's a fairly regular uh, person, just like you and me, but he gets angry. Um, he can feel it uh, building up inside him as the day goes on, and no one is ever quite sure when it's going uh, to come out. And maybe it'll be at work when a member of his team doesn't pull their weight, doesn't meet a deadline. Maybe it'll be on the, on the commute home uh, when another passenger stamps on his foot uh, trying to squeeze on. Maybe it'll be at home uh, when, when his toddler throws, throws dinner on the floor uh, yet again. He knows it's not good, um, his anger, and, and he wants to change, but how is he going to do that? I don't know if you can relate to Dan or if there's something, if you can think of something, uh, one thing that you love to change uh, about uh, your character. How are you going to do that? Well, two approaches, I think, uh, that, that we can, sort of broad brushstrokes that we can take to that. The, the first is um, where you say to yourself, well, I, I just know I cannot keep uh, getting angry like this. Um, I need to change. If I don't, then I run the risk of, of ruining uh, my relationships. Um, I'll endanger my career. I'll damage my family. Um, and I'll maybe end up alone. I need to change. I must change. That sort of attitude essentially is motivated by fear, isn't it? All the things I, I might lose all the things I might do if I don't change. The second um, approach, the second attitude to change is, is quite different. Same change that, that we're looking for, but that's more where you say to yourself, look, I, I can't keep getting angry like this. I need to change. I enjoy my work, and I want others uh, to flourish in it. And I love my family, and I don't want them to be harmed. I don't want to exasperate my kids. I don't want to uh, talk down to my spouse. It's the same goal, but it's motivated by, not by fear, but by love. The issue of, of how we change is right at the heart of Romans 7. The, the language that Romans 7 uses is of bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit, not for death, but for God? And the answer um, is that if you want to change, don't bind yourself to the law. Know that you belong to Jesus. Don't bind yourself to the law. Know that you belong to Jesus. See, binding yourself by the law, just just imposing more uh, rules gets you nowhere. And you'll just keep hitting at the same at wall, the same barriers. But belonging to Jesus, well, that brings change, real change. 
It's a few weeks um, since we've been in Romans, so let me just remind us of, uh, of where we're up to. Romans 1 to 5, um, Paul has been saying, by ourselves, we have no hope. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God, whether we're a religious person or an out-and-out pagan. We've all fallen short. We can only be right with God when he gives us um, righteousness. And that is what he has done um, in Jesus. Through our justification, he has given us perfect righteousness when we trust in Christ. That was, that was chapters one to five. Then you get chapters six to eight, which basically is asking the big question, why bother changing? Why bother with change at all? If God has given me righteousness as a free gift that I have not earned, I could never earn, why bother and worrying about change in my life? And the answer that this section gives us is, is that our motivation for change is no longer fear, fear of God, fear of his wrath, but a love for God because of all that he has done for us. Because you know how wonderful he is, because, he, because you know how much he loves you, well, then you want to change. You want to live his way. The change that Paul is, is urging us to is not motivated by fear, but by love. Chapter um, 6 and verse 23, just before our reading, Paul said this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What had we earned? We'd earned death, separation from God. But God gives us eternal life in Jesus as a gift, not something we've earned. And in chapter six, if you remember back a few weeks ago, um, Paul used the image of, of a slave master. We have a new master if we're in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And now in, in chapter seven, he switches the imagery to that of a marriage. And he says, look, if you wanna change, you need a new spouse. And if you wanna change, the law can reveal sin, but only the spirit of God can change you. Those are the points, and we'll work through. Uh, they're on your handout if, if they're helpful. If you want to change, you need a new spouse, and the law can reveal sin, but only the Spirit of God can change you. Firstly, then, if you want, if you want to change, you need a new spouse, and it's not what you think. Don't, you cannot blame the person sitting beside you if you're here with your spouse. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm, in, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law, from that law, and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. What is Paul talking about? The basic idea is there in verse one. He says, once you die, the law has no authority over you. And then he gives the example of a marriage. He says, look, we see how this works out um, in a marriage. And we've got a few, a few pictures up on the screen uh, to help us out. There we are, ha happily, happily married, uh, husband and wife. But if one of them dies... 
then, then the, the wife is free. She's no longer bound to her husband because her husband has died, and so she is free um, to marry another man. Now, the point here is not, uh, this is not um, a long discussion on marriage uh, that Paul is, is making. He's making a point. He's saying, in the same way that, that the wife is free uh, when, uh, when the husband has died, that is a little bit like what's happened to a Christian. So verse four, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. And that is, um, let's have the next one. Before you were a Christian, it was a little bit like you were married to the law um, and it was not a happy uh, marriage. But, Paul says, that is not the case anymore if you're a Christian because Jesus came and he died and you died with him uh, if you trust in him. He died and you died with him. So when he was raised, you are also raised. And so the law, you were married to your to the law, but because you died and were raised with Christ, you are free to belong to another, uh, to him. That is what has happened to the Christian. You used to be married to the law, but Christ died and was raised so that you, are, you died and were raised to belong to him instead. Why does that matter? You know, that's an interesting point, Paul. Why does that matter? Well, when it comes to how we change that really matters. Verse five. For when we're in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul's saying, look, before you were a Christian, you were in the realm of the flesh, you were, you were bound to the law, and it was not good. All the law could do was bring death, bear fruit for death. Change was not really possible in any meaningful way. And you needed a new spouse. And that is what God has given you in Christ. Jesus died and was raised and we died and were raised with him so that we might bear fruit for God. So we might actually change um, and grow more like Jesus who has loved us. So it's a little bit like this. Um, maybe you don't like pictures. Maybe you like equations. Um, before, uh, uh, you had the law and it met your sinful heart. And all that it produced was fear and rebellion, which brought fruit for death. But now, Paul says, the law, when it meets a spirit-changed heart, brings love for God and fruit for him. Paul's saying, look, now our desire to change is not driven by fear, but by love. We're not bound to the law. We belong to Jesus. What difference does that make? Well, verse six, we don't serve in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the spirit. What, what does the old way of the written code uh, look like uh, when it comes to change? Well, 
It's basically where you say to yourself, oh, I, I really ought to do this differently. I really ought to change because it says so. I better do it or else I'm in, I'm in trouble. I must change. That's the old way of the written code. It's, it says what I should and shouldn't do. I ought to do that. But now Paul says there's a new way, a better way to serve in this spirit where actually you say, I, I know how much Jesus has loved me. And he went to the cross to bear my sin. He was raised to life so that I might know new life, so that I might belong to him. Oh, I, really, I really want to change. I want to be different because of how he has loved me. Paul says, if you want to change, you need a new spouse, and that is what God has given you. You are not bound to the law. You belong to Jesus. Okay, fairly straightforward. We get it. Jesus is good. The law is bad. Um, Except it's not quite that simple, is it? Remember who Paul is speaking to. He's speaking to the church in Rome who are a mix of Jews and Gentiles who are trusting in Christ. And he's shown them that, that to belong to Jesus brings change in a way that the law never could. The law, he says, only brought death. So that begs the question, particularly if you're a Jewish Christian, was the law sinful? Was it just wrong all along? To which Paul replies very clearly, no. That's our second point, that the, the law can reveal sin but only the Spirit of God can change us. The law can reveal sin, but only the Spirit of God can change us. Paul says the law was not sinful, verse seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. That's how he begins, and then he concludes verse 12. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. How is it that something that Paul has said has brought death or borne fruit for death can be holy, righteous, and good? Well, two important things to, to see. Firstly, we see that the law exposes sin. The law exposes sin. Verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul's saying, look, but before um, he knew the law, sin was still sinful. But the law just points it out uh, for what it is. So uh, think of an example. Um, we, we've, got, we've got two boys. Um, let's hypothetically say um, that, that Callum, the older one, and hits Noah, the younger one. Purely hypothetical, obviously. Um, when he, when he, if he hits him, um, it, it's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong as soon as he does it. It's wrong. And yet, if his parent, if I had said to him, do not hit your younger brother, well, then when he hits him, it is wrong but the wrongness of it is, is obvious for everyone to see. Not only was it wrong, but he's, 
rebelled, he's disobeyed uh, the good commandment. The law basically, the law, Paul says, highlights sin. It, it, it takes a red pen and it, it draws a big circle around it. It highlights it so that we, we can see it for what it is. The law reveals sin to us, our sin to us. But it has no power to change us. It can show us what's there, but it cannot change us. Instead, in fact, Paul says, our our hearts, our sinful hearts, exploit the law and cause us to sin, verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. We had it earlier, didn't we? That that when the law meets our sinful hearts, It only produces fear and rebellion. Sin exploits the law. It seizes the opportunity to cause us to sin. It's a bit like um, uh, rain falling uh, on your parched uh, garden. Rain is is a good thing, a life-giving thing. And yet, what is the first thing that springs up uh, when it rains on your garden? Um, The weeds. That, that, that choke new life. Paul says the law was the same. It was, it's a good thing, and yet it produces in us all sorts of sin because our hearts are sinful. It, it, it's slightly um, complicated what Paul is saying here. He, he's, it's, we have to say he's not saying that he was sinless and before he knew the law. He's saying having exposed sin the law has no power to do anything about it. So it highlights it for us, but it just leaves it there. It cannot do anything about it. We think that the law will bring us life. If, if only I, I know the rules, then I'll be okay. Actually, Paul says it, it does the opposite. It just confirms us in our sin. Paul is saying, look, the the law is good, but it is not the antidote to human evil. Think think back to the um, the depths of the pandemic. It's a little bit like um, uh, social distancing, you can put it this way. Social distancing, it had had some impact on the the R rate and and everything else, but it did not have power to to defeat the virus. It could not actually um, uh, solve the problem, ultimately. What we needed to, to solve the problem was, was the vaccine, where, where actually our immune systems are changed so that we're able to fight off uh, infection. In the same way that the, the law was good, it showed us our sin, but we needed something much more to actually change us. The law itself can never uh, change us. What does that actually look like? Well, Paul gives a little example um, so let, let's, let's work through what that looks like. When you are bound to the law, before you were a Christian, you were bound to the law, and God's word says, do not covet. 
The law says, do not covet. What effect does that actually have? Maybe um, think of it like this. Imagine you really want a new car. I really, really want a new car. Um, but, but, but God's law says, I must not covet. And my neighbor has a new car, and it's really nice, like really nice. And I, I really want that car that my neighbor has. In fact, no better still, I, I want a nicer car than the one that my neighbor has. But, but, but the law says, do not covet. Oh, but, I, but I really want that car. But I, but I must not covet. You just, you just end up going round and round in circles. There is no incentive in that, in that example to change. The law says it, but I still want, really want, what I don't have. The law cannot change me. But when I belong to Jesus, when I have his spirit working in me, the law, well, it helps me to know what pleases God and his spirit helps me to change. So do not covet. Oh, but I, but I really want that car. But I belong to Jesus. I am his and he provides me with everything I need because he loves me. He has died for me. He is not going to withhold good things from me. Oh, but I really want that car. But he hasn't given it to me. He hasn't given me the means to possess it lawfully, at least. And when he says, do not covet, well, that must be for my good. And because he loves me. And so I don't need it. Because I have him, I belong to him. Do you see how that attitude begins to, to change us so that we don't uh, need that thing that we thought we needed in the same way? Paul is saying, look, as a guide, the law is helpful, but as a means of change, it does not work. So do not bind yourself to the law if you want to change. Now, that, that, that process of change, that movement from, from one way of thinking to another, it's, it's not simple. And the way I've outlined it makes it, makes it sound simple, doesn't it? Oh, I, just, I just think differently. I just say to myself, oh, this is true, and, and I'll change. It is more complicated than that. And the second half of Romans 7 that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks will show us that, that to change um, sinful patterns of, of thinking and behavior is a battle. It is hard. It is a constant battle. But the attitude, one motivated by fear, one motivated by love, are so different. When we're abound to the law, we are motivated by fear. Oh, I really ought to change or else. When we know that we belong to Jesus, well, we want to change. And we have his spirit so we can change. And so what difference does all this make? Is it just sort of theoretical? And well, two, two points of application, I think. Firstly, and the negative, don't bind yourself to the law. Don't bind yourself to the law. If you want to change, don't look to the law to bring about that change. If you're, just, um, if you're here and you're just looking in on Christian things at this morning, it's very easy I think, to, to look um, at, a, at the Christian life and assume that it's all about 
um, uh, keeping uh, to the rules, trying to be a better person, um, earning, earning points um, like on your club card so that uh, eventually you might get something good uh, from God. It's very easy to assume that that is what uh, Christianity is about, but actually um, it is the opposite, isn't it? Having been set free from the law, that constant need to earn points, well, that frees a Christian to want to change and to want to live differently because they belong to Jesus. If you're looking for change, do not bind yourself to the law. It will not work. The law has an appeal about it, doesn't it? And we, we like the fact that we, we can have sort of, you know, just, just tell me what I can and can't do and I'll do my best to do it. I, I can measure whether I feel like I'm doing well or not. I can chart my progress. But in the end, living like that, it only leads to fear. Fear of not performing well, fear of, of, of not being good enough, of never being good enough. So don't bind yourself uh, to the law because if you're in Christ, you belong to Jesus. And isn't that so much better? Jesus, who, who, who went to the cross uh, to die for you, who was raised in your life so that you could belong to him instead of constantly uh, trying to please uh, the law. Now we can do what God wants, what God says, because it pleases him and we want to please him. How, how would we know that? How would we know that, um, that we were rejoicing that we belong to Jesus instead of just um, binding ourselves to the law? I think, it would, um, I think we would see it in the way that we speak about um, our Christian life, particularly our, our obedience to what God has said. Um, easy, isn't it, to, to make it sound like, like doing what God has called us to, to do and being obedient is, is somehow a burden and that my life would actually be a bit better if, um, if I didn't have to do that. Well, I wonder if, if instead we, we could speak about Jesus' love for us in the goodness of what he has called us to do and how he has called us to live. I think it would also be seen in, in the way that we serve and Paul points to that, doesn't he, in, uh, in, in these verses. Do I serve him because I ought to? Because it's, it's sort of expected? Or because I love him and I want uh, to serve him? In a, in a minute or two, we're, we're going to share the Lord's Supper um, together. And the Lord's Supper is a wonderful reminder that Jesus gave his body to death so that you could die to the law, so that you didn't have to be bound to the law anymore. You could belong to him, be raised to new life with him. Receive each day the, the grace that you need to bear fruit for God, to change, to really change. If you want to change, um, Romans 7 says, don't bind yourself to the law. That has no power to change. Know that you belong to Jesus, that he died and was raised so that you might die and be raised to new life and live for him. 
That's the motivation for change, isn't it? And it makes change possible. Don't bind yourself to the law. Know that you belong to Jesus. That is where real change comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how we, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, that he would come and die, that we might no longer be bound to the law, that we might no longer have to, to, to fear that we are not good enough, that we have not done enough. Father, we praise you that more than that, that he was raised to life, that we might belong to him, that we might know the joy of being bound to him Father, that what he tells us is good and wonderful and we can change because we belong to him. Father, please, if we're trusting in Christ, will we be those who rejoice in belonging to him and so um, delight uh, to, to change, to be changed for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.